Do you guys know what pet peeves are? Uh, I just want to hear, what's a pet peeve of yours? Faith? Pet peeve? You have to think that hard. You must not have pet peeves. So I heard loud chewing. (laughs) Your brother is a pet peeve. Yeah? What do you... Uh, okay. What about you? When they don't wipe the shower door because it's like wet? The fog? You don't like the fog? Okay. I've never heard that one before. Jack? Say it again. Bad administrative decisions? Wow. Do you work like a full-time job? Like that's, that was such a mature answer. Man. Josh, what about you? People messing around at 12.30. Is that way past your bedtime, Josh? No. 12.30? <laughs> yeah, what about you? Oh, <laughs> when people do stuff that they know is wrong. Let's say, okay, Ben, yeah? The volume on the TV at an odd number. What? I have never heard that before. Okay, what about you? So if you ask someone if your hair looks good and they say yes without even looking. Hmm. Okay, last one. When someone pours the cereal before the milk. I was about to say that's normal. Milk in the bowl before cereal. Who does that? Who does the milk first? Okay. You do that. You have something to say? Okay, this is the actual last one. What do you think? <clears throat> he says, drink your vitamins? Hmm. It's your pet peeve when your dad says, drink your vitamins? Yeah? Yeah, so pet peeves, all right, listen, pet peeves are things that happen to you that you find annoying, that get on your nerves. Do you guys want to know one of my pet peeves? So, like... When I wake up in the morning, that's it. That's the pet peeve. No, I'm just kidding. That's not it. That's not it. When, when I wake up in the morning and I immediately start dropping stuff. Has ever happened to you before? Where you wake up and you've only been awake for like a minute and then you drop your toothbrush or something? Has ever happened to you? Yeah. Or, or even worse, like you've got the toothpaste on the toothbrush and then you forget how to actually brush your teeth and then it falls, and then the toothpaste gets all over the sink. And You know what I'm talking about? Has that happened to you before? You just miss it because you're so tired? Yeah. I, I just, I really can't stand it whenever I drop something first thing in the morning, right? Well, there's this saying, all right? Listen, listen. There's this saying, um, and I don't know if you guys have heard this, but it, it goes, if you drop something first thing in the morning, then you'll be dropping stuff the, the rest of your day. You guys ever heard that before? Have you guys ever experienced that before? Where like you drop something in the morning and then it's like all of a sudden you forget how to hold stuff and like you spill your water and you spill everything I'm talking about? Some, some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Well, that's, that's a pet peeve of mine. And so honestly, sometimes if I drop something in the morning, I have this thought and I'm like, oh, well, there goes my whole day. And I just feel like my whole day is ruined. You know what I'm talking about? And I know that's like really silly and dramatic, but to be honest, sometimes that, that happens to me. I'm like, okay, well, now my whole day is gone. Um, <clears throat> have you ever had something bad happen to you in the morning, and then you think to yourself the same thing? Wow, now my whole day is just ruined. My whole day is gone. My whole day is ruined. You ever thought that before? Yeah. yeah. After you have that thought, isn't it really hard to get back into a good mood? Yeah. What I'm talking about? Where you think to yourself like, ugh. This day is over. And then you just kind of want to stay in a bad mood. You know what I'm talking about? And it's like people are trying to cheer you up, and you're like, I don't want to be cheered up. I'm in a bad mood because this morning I dropped something. And like that's so childish, right? Like, oh, I didn't have the right breakfast, so I'm in a bad mood. Or, or my sibling got on my nerves, and so now I'm in a bad mood. Like something like that is happening, and now you're just like, oh, my whole day is over. My whole day is ruined. Okay? Obviously, that's not okay. That's not a good attitude to have, but that just happens. And to be honest, it's natural for people to feel this way. It's natural for us to think these things because it's sinful. 
it's wrong, and like we have a sin nature. So sometimes that's just the way that we feel about things, like to be put in a bad mood and then to just be upset, to be mad, and then, and then just to want to be rude to people and, and lash out and be impatient. Like that's, that's just a, a, a part of being human, all right? Well, the Bible actually talks about what we need to do, what, what Christians need to do whenever we are in a bad mood. Whenever we're having a bad day, whenever we're going through a hard time, whenever we're facing something difficult, the Bible tells us how to live. The Bible tells us what to do, how to behave when life just isn't going your own way. You guys ever been there before where you're just thinking and you're like, man, this day just really is not going my way. You know what I'm talking about? Well, the Bible tells us what to do whenever that's happening. All right? Open your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter chapter 3. We are back in our study through 1 Peter. We're in this new series called How to Suffer Well. All right, so I want you to remember <clears throat> who Peter is writing to. Peter is writing to Christians. Christians who are of the dispersion. And we talked about the dispersion means that they're being dispersed, they're being spread out across the land because of intense persecution. Because they're being persecuted. They're going through a really difficult time, a difficult season. They're going through this difficult time because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And so Peter is writing this to them, and he's saying, this is how you suffer well. This is what you need to do whenever you are going through a difficult season. All right, so if you're a Christian, God has specific instructions for you when you face a hard time, when life is hard, when you're going through something difficult. And like we said, it's tempting to stay mad. It's tempting to be mad and to be upset and to do all these things, to be rude, to treat people poorly. But the Bible says that behavior like that does not honor God. That is not God-honoring behavior. And so we need to see that a a distinguishing mark of a Christian, something that a Christian can can be recognized by, is if if they can face difficult and painful situations but they can stay joyful. They can keep pursuing righteousness. They can keep loving each other well. It it shouldn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter how difficult life gets. A distinguishing mark of a Christian is that they can continue to do these things, continue to live the way that Christ says to live. So you should have 1 Peter chapter 3 open, looking with me at verse 8. Here's what it says, starting in verse 8. Finally, all of you, Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So you need to know this morning, you need to understand that God expects you. He commands you to continue to live righteously, to continue to pursue righteousness, to continue to love others well, even when your life is difficult. Even whenever you're facing a hard time, when you're in a bad mood, when things are not good, when you would look at your life and say, this is a bad day, you are supposed to continue to pursue righteousness and continue to love other people the way that Christ says to love them. All right, so there's never, ever a good excuse to treat people poorly. I hope you guys are listening to me this morning, okay? There is never a good reason. There's never a good excuse to be rude to people, to be short with people, to be cold to people. There's never a good reason. Have I said that enough? There's never a good reason for you to treat people poorly. It doesn't matter how justified you think you are. It doesn't matter if you think I have all the reasons in the world. If I could just explain why I'm doing this and you'd understand, it doesn't matter. There is no explanation. If you're not loving others, if you're not treating other people with kindness and respect and love, there's no reason for it. All right, so here's point number one. Based on these verses this morning, point number one, commit to loving others better. Everyone, every person, we need to make a commitment right now that we are going to love each other better. We're going to love better. And so Peter, he says the word finally. 
Finally, and so what this word shows us is that this is kind of the conclusion of the thoughts that he's been building on in the last chapter and a half. So he's, he says, finally, all of you. So what he's doing is he's addressing everyone. He's not just talking to husbands now or just wives now or, or servants or masters. He's talking to every person, every person who claims to be a Christian, every person who has put their trust in Jesus. That's who he's talking to. So everyone in this room right now, today, we should say, okay, God's word is talking to me right now, very specifically me. There's no way out of this. I can't say, oh, he's not talking to me. This is for me. He says, finally, all of you. And he's going to go through this list of things that he wants every Christian to have. He uses that word have. It's a verb. You have to have these things. These things should be distinguishing marks of your life as a Christian. You should prioritize to have these things in your life. And so the first thing that he says is that you need to have unity of mind. You need to be united. This is a command that is found all over the Bible. Reading through the DVR, you are going to see this all over. Old Testament, New Testament, be united, have unity. And another way to say this is to have harmony with each other. That's another word that's used all over the Bible. Harmony, that means to be in agreement with each other, to be at peace with each other, to agree. And so first of all, what is it that Peter is saying that Christians agree about? Well, the most important thing, we agree about the most important thing there is to agree about, and that's that we agree about Jesus Christ, about who he is, about what he has done for you and for me. Christians are united in what we believe about Jesus. We believe that Jesus is God, and Jesus came to earth, and he lived a perfect life, and and he died on the cross in my place, in your place. And, and he rose again on the third day, and he defeated death, and he defeated hell, he defeated sin. And now we can put our trust in him, and we can be saved from our sins because of the sacrifice of Jesus. See, that's what we're united in. First and foremost, that's the most important thing. That we are united in what we believe about Jesus. And so now, since we agree in this, since we're united in what we believe about Jesus, it it doesn't matter the differences that we have as Christians. It doesn't matter if we don't like the same things or play the same sports or watch the same TV shows or whatever. None of that matters. Now that we're united in our belief in Jesus, we should all be united all the time, living in harmony, getting along, not arguing, no divisions, You understand that? Because we agree on the most important thing there is to agree about, now we should live in unity with each other all the time. So again, I'm saying there is never a good reason for you to be rude to someone. There's never a good reason for you to be the reason for conflict or division. There should never be something personal going on between you and another person that you're okay with. Because we need to be pursuing unity Romans 15.5 says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree. He's talking to Christians. Christians, you should agree. You should be in harmony. He says, and that there be no divisions among you. There should be no division here. Nothing that is keeping you guys from getting along with each other. No divisions, but that you be united with the same mind and the same judgment. Now, it's extremely unfortunate. It is extremely unfortunate that divisions and conflict are common. And it's even more unfortunate that divisions and conflict are common in churches, in youth groups, in places like the Narrow. It shouldn't be common. God hates division among Christians. He actually hates it. He doesn't want that to be because there should be unity and harmony. But it's common. How many times, I don't want you to answer out loud, I want you to think about it. How many times have you heard someone say, oh, I don't really like that person? Someone came up in conversation and they say, I don't don't like that, we don't get along, I don't like that person. Or how many times have you said those words? How many times have you actually spoken against someone else, even in this room that we're sitting in right now, and said, I don't like that person? See, it's, it's common. 
even among Christians, even in the church. And that's why Paul and Peter make it a point to write about unity. Because they know how common it is. They know how easy it is to fall into divisions and to have conflict with each other. So Christians, people, all people need to be on guard against divisions, on guard against disunity. So look, if there's someone in your life right now, I want everybody to put your eyes on me and listen. If there is someone in your life right now that you have conflict with, if there's someone in your life right now that you've said, I don't like that person, that person doesn't like me, we just don't talk, we avoid each other, whatever, we're, we're not united, there's not harmony. If there is someone like that, that you need to have a conversation with that person today. And you need to get it figured out. Because that's not harmony. That's division. And all it takes is to say something like this. I'm just, I'm just going to try and give you a script to follow here, okay? This is all it takes, is to say, hey, listen, I know that we haven't been getting along lately. And I don't like that. I don't like that we haven't been getting along. And I want to do what honors God in this situation. And I want to talk about what's going on. And I want to put our differences aside. And I want to agree and have unity with each other. I want you to imagine if you approach someone and you said those words, what kind of productive conversation would most likely follow after that? You have to be willing to talk and forgive each other, of course. But rather than just avoiding each other and saying, I don't like that person, I'm mad at that person, what if we actually said this? What if, what if we put what, what would honor God first and we just said, I'm going to go talk to this person. And I'm going to apologize for the wrong that I've done. And I'm going to forgive them for the wrong that they've done to me. But I know that I have to pursue unity here. That we can't be divided because God hates divisions, especially among Christians. Gotta have unity of mind. Now he says you gotta have sympathy. Sympathy is to be sympathetic, right? To to care deeply about the needs of others, to care deeply about the people in this room. That's what sympathy means to care, to love, to be concerned for each other, to have this sympathy. So to care when other people are experiencing joy. When someone that you know is joyful about something, be joyful with them. When, when someone is going through a hard time, be there for them. Right? Paul says in Romans to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. So what this means is when you know someone who's rejoicing over something, when you know someone who, who something good just happened, they, they won a game or they, they got a job or they, they, they're happy about something, instead of being jealous about it, Instead of saying, oh, I wish that was me, this isn't fair, my life isn't as good as that. Instead of thinking those things, the Bible says rejoice with them. To be happy for them. To say, I'm so happy for you. I'm so glad that God is blessing you in this way. I, I, love, that. I love that you're happy. But then it says to weep with those who weep. So that means when you know someone that's experiencing a hard time, when they're facing something difficult, that you go to them and you say, hey, how can I help you? How can I show my love to you? Do you need anything? How can I pray for you? You need to be there for them. You understand? Having sympathy for each other. Weeping with those who weep. And rejoicing with those who rejoice. That's what you need to do. And then he says, have brotherly love. Having brotherly love. Now this, and this may sound weird to us, right? Because when we're talking about Christians need to have brotherly love for each other? Like, look around the room. There's only a few of you who actually do have a brother in here, okay? So you're like, okay, how do I love brotherly love with these people when they're not actually my brothers, all right? Well, this love that Peter is talking about, that, that also Paul talks about as well, is this family love. So think about the love that you have among your family, you and your siblings and your parents and your cousins and that tight-knit love that you have. A similar love is the kind of love that you should have for each other, for fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. All right, now look, I know that when I think about how my brother and I show love to each other, we like, we beat up each other, right? And like my, my brother Austin, who's like two years younger than me, he's actually now a lot bigger than me. And so it's scary because like my whole life growing up, I beat him up. But now if we fight, he can beat me up. And so now I'm like, please don't, please, please don't. You know what I mean? Like, but that's how we show love to each other. 
Obviously, that's not the way that you guys need to be showing love to each other. You don't just walk into the neighborhood and beat each other up. Hey, I love you. You know, that's not what we're doing. We're talking about the tight-knit, close love that you have for your family. So I want you to think about, like, you and your siblings may fight and argue sometimes, but what would happen if someone else walked into your house and started beating up on your sibling? You'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. only I can do that. That's, That's my job. Only I can do that, right? You would jump to their defense. This is the kind of family love that God is calling Christians to have for each other, this tight-knit love. So I want you to think about the way that you are loving the people sitting in this room. We're going to start right here in this immediate context in the narrow. Are you showing this brotherly family love? You should be. We should all be doing this. God takes this very seriously. We've got to be careful with what we say, with what we do. You need to show that you love because evidence of real faith in Jesus is seen in genuine love for each other. You see that? Evidence of real faith in Jesus is seen in having genuine love for each other. So God takes this very seriously as well. You need to have brotherly love for each other. And he says you need to have a tender heart. Having a tender heart. This is also seen in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. So another way to say this is to have compassion. To care for those in pain. This is similar to sympathy. But sympathy, then you need to have compassion. And the compassion is actually what, what puts action there. Whenever you have compassion and you see, I need to do something about this. I care for this person. I'm sympathizing with this person. Now I actually want to do something about it. I actually want to help somehow. I want to be kind. I want to be tenderhearted. I'm going to forgive. All right, so being compassionate, we see right here, it's, it's being willing to forgive those who hurt you. It's understanding that, yeah, you've done things that have hurt other people too. You've messed up. You've said hurtful things. So when other people hurt you, not being the person that says, oh, that's it. I'm never going to forgive you. It's saying, you know what? I know I've messed up too. And having compassion in this way and being willing to say, you know what? That did hurt, but I love you and I forgive you. Again, in pursuing unity and harmony, this is, this is what we should do. Have compassion for each other. And you guys remember the story of the Good Samaritan, right? We covered that over the summer in our parables series. Think about all that the Good Samaritan did. People said that, that this guy, they, they, they should have hated each other. But the Samaritan didn't hate this man. He loved him. He had compassion. He, the guy got beat up and he took him and, and he put him on his own animal. And he walked who knows how many miles to the next city to take care of him. And he, bandaged, he, he put bandages on him and he, and he healed his wounds and he bought him a, a room in this inn. And he gave his money to the innkeeper and said, can you please use this money to take care of him? And if you use this money and you use more of your own money, I'll pay it back. Just please take care of him. He didn't even know this guy. Most likely, he hadn't even said a word to him because he had been knocked out the whole time. But he loved him. He had compassion. You see, this is brotherly love and he had unity together. This is what God is talking about. And then he says that you need to have a humble mind. You need to be humble. Don't be arrogant. Don't be proud. Don't be doing anything like that. But, but this is what humility really is. We see this in Philippians 2, 3, and 4. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility you count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look uh, to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So having a humble mind is understanding that it's more important for me to look to the needs of other people than for me to be worried about myself. So when you walk into a room filled with a bunch of people, you're not worried about, I need the best seat, I need the best food, I need the best this. You need to be thinking about, how can I serve other people? How can I humble myself and do something kind to serve these other people? And if we start paying attention to this, if you start saying, I need, I need to be conscious about this, how often do I think of myself first? I think all of us will be shocked at how often we put ourselves first in situations when we should be putting other people first. We need to have a humble mind, putting other people first before ourselves. And all of these are ways to love better. Christians need to love the way that Jesus says to love. This is what God is calling and commanding us to do. If you say that you're a Christian, if you have put your trust in Jesus, this is what you need to do. 
love this way. Now look, this is how God expects his people to live no matter the circumstances. No matter what's going on, no matter how hard or how great life is, this is how Jesus, this is how God's word says that Christians need to act. Remember what I said, there is never a good reason to be okay with conflict between you and another person. There's never a good reason to be rude, to be unkind, to be short and cold towards other people. There is never a good reason. It doesn't matter if that your day started off bad and your parents got mad at you or blah, 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 blah. None of that matters. You need to be able to respond appropriately to that and say, yeah, you know what? I'm not in the best mood, but God still holds me to the standard. I have to love people. And I have to do things to pursue unity, not division. No matter what's happening, that's what I have to do. Now, I, just, I want you to remember that Peter is writing to these Christians who are facing the hardest situation they've ever faced in their entire lives. These people are being persecuted. A lot of these Christians have been killed and thrown into prison. And Peter's writing to them. And here's what he says in verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. So Peter says, even though you're being persecuted, even though you've had family members be killed and thrown in prison because of their faith in Jesus, you don't do evil back. You don't threaten back. That's what that word revile means, to threaten, to, to be harsh, to be rude. You don't do it back. And instead, what you need to do is you need to bless. Now, I know when we see that word in the Bible that we need to to bless people, that might sound a little confusing because if, if you've read uh, in the Old Testament, especially we're almost done with Genesis, you see where at the end of someone's life, a lot of times they will bless their kids and their grandkids and they speak this blessing over them. So Peter's not saying that when someone's mean to you, you have to look at them and say like, blessed be you, peace, peace to you. You know what I mean? Like that'd, be, that'd be kind of weird, right? That's not what we're talking about. What Peter means here is you need to pray for them. So here's point number two. Pray for people who hurt you. This is how you bless them. After someone is rude to you and is evil and persecutes you and makes fun of you and threatens you and does all these things, God says, you do not even think about doing anything back, but what you need to do is pray for them. Pray for the people that hurt you. Now look, I know that this is so backwards from what the world says to do when people hurt you. The world says, go get revenge. You are justified. You have every right to go and get revenge and get them back. They say, get them back. And you know what? You, mean, you need to make them pay. You need, you need to make it worse for them than they made it for you. Just go and make them regret it. But we do not see that in God's word anywhere. We do not see that in the teachings of Jesus. We do not see that here. It's not what God's word teaches when someone insults you, you do not insult them back. Look, I know that every muscle in your body wants to yell back. And when someone embarrasses you, you want to embarrass them. You want to get them back. Everything in you says, I just want to embarrass them. I want to yell at them. But we have to pray for self-control in these situations. And we have to understand that that is never the right response to yell back, to get revenge, to do anything like that. The proper response is always to pray for them. We got to remember the example that Jesus set that Peter talked about in the previous chapter, in chapter 2, verse 23, when he was reviled, talking about Jesus. And it's the same word, by the way, reviled, when he was threatened, when he was yelled at, when he was beaten. He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued doing what? Entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He said, God, I am not going to yell back. And you think Jesus had the power to get his revenge? Of course he did. He's God. He could have wiped them out with the blink of an eye, but he didn't do that. He set the example for us to follow by trusting God and praying for these people. So look, when someone betrays your trust, when you tell a secret to someone and they go and they tell that to everybody else, when somebody stabs you in the back, when, when, when someone says something hurtful, when someone lies to you, when someone steals from you, you do not return evil for evil. 
You do not threaten back. You do not revile back. But you pray for that person. Look, Peter, we've got to understand, he's not just saying that you need to be nice. We've got to understand this. Peter's not just telling us, be nice and be friendly when people are rude to you. That's just the first step, all right? So we need to understand that, like, yeah, you should be friendly even when you're not being treated well, but that's not everything that you should do. We've got to take it a step further to make sure that we are actually obeying what God's Word says to do in these situations. A lot of times we can think that as long as we don't try to get revenge, then we're obeying God. Like, oh, they got me, and I'm not going to do anything back to them, and now I'm good. I'm doing everything God expects for me to do. That's not everything God wants for you to do. Just because you're not getting revenge, it doesn't mean that you're actually being kind to them. Maybe maybe you say, I'm not going to go get my revenge, but I'm not going to talk to them. I'm going to avoid them. I don't want to be around them. You think that's obeying God? It's not, clearly, based on what we just read. You have to be friendly and kind and love them back. All right, but even if you don't get revenge, and even if you're like, I'm going to be nice to them, I'm going to be friendly, that's not everything. The part that is most often missed out here is the part that we're, we just were commanded, which is to pray for them, to bless them. So this is when you are fully obeying God and doing everything that he says that you need to do. Whenever people threaten you and are rude to you, you don't get your revenge. You love them and you pray for them. All of those, that's what God asks us to do. That is being completely, fully obedient. But listen. We have to be extremely careful about the things that we pray for when someone hurts you. Because it's really, really easy and tempting to pray a prayer like this. God, I just want to pray to you right now. That that person that hurt, you know, they're just so bad. They're just bad. And they keep disobeying you. And and I know that you don't like that. And they're just sinners. So God, just, just be with them. Amen. What does that mean? What, is, what did that do? All you did there was tell God how bad you think they are. And you're not realizing you're a guilty sinner too. There's none of that there. All you're doing there is just telling God how bad this person is. And you're telling God, they, they hurt me. So when we say that you need to pray for these people, what, what are some things that we should, we should pray for? Right? You, the, the, the prayer, first of all, if this person who hurt you isn't a Christian... We should be praying for God to save them. Now listen, again, you have to be careful not to pray this in a judgmental way to say, oh God, they're definitely not a Christian, so would you just please save them? No. It's God, I don't don't know if that person is saved. I don't know, you know their heart, but God, if they're not, would you please save them? God, would would you please use me in their life to share the gospel with them? How about that? We, we start praying, God, give me an opportunity to share the gospel with that person who hurt me. And if they're not a Christian, I pray that they would respond with repentance and faith and that you would save them. A prayer like that actually shows forgiveness from us to say, I love that person, I've forgiven that person, and all I want is to see these people get saved and come to know Jesus. I don't care how mean they are to me. It doesn't matter. I just want them to know you, God. And not only that, we should be praying for God to continue to be kind to these people. God, would you continue to bless these people? Would you continue to help this person have a good day and to be safe and to be healthy? And and if whatever situation this person is facing at home, if they're not getting along with their parents, I pray for peace in that situation. And and I don't know why they're, they're lashing out against me. Maybe they're upset. Maybe they're insecure. Maybe something's going on. God, you know what's going on. Would you please help them in that situation? Whatever, whatever they're facing, give them peace and give them comfort, God. Help me to be the person who can help them. Show me what I can do to help them, God. Help me to forgive that person. Do you see how different those prayers are? We've got to be blessing the people that hurt us. Praying for these people that hurt us. That's what God expects us to do. And look, there are some really good examples of this in the Bible. Some really good examples. You guys know the book of Acts. You know, you know the guy named Stephen? You heard of Stephen before? In Acts chapter 7, Stephen, he gets dragged before a bunch of Pharisees and they're stoning him to death. And what this means is he's lying on the ground and they're picking up not just little bitty pebbles, but they're picking up 
rocks that they have to use both their hands and they're dropping them on his head. They're killing him. They're murdering him because he's a Christian, because he put his faith in Jesus. And as this is happening, Stephen looks at these people and he prays for them. And he doesn't say, oh God, these people are so bad. Jesus, would you please, would you just notice how bad they are? Here's what he says. He says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. As these people are killing him, he's already showing that he has forgiven them. And that he wants God to forgive them. He wants these people to put their trust in Jesus so that they can experience salvation. Do you guys know who was standing in that crowd, by the way? Who? Saul. Who went on to be who? The Apostle Paul. Think about that. Stephen prayed, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. The Apostle Paul, before he was saved, when he was Saul, he's the guy that gave the thumbs up. He's the guy that looked at all these Pharisees and said, you can kill Stephen. You should kill him. And of course, we know that Saul went on to become the Apostle Paul. God saved him on the road to Damascus. And the Apostle Paul wrote so much of what we have in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul very well might be the greatest missionary to have ever lived. Think about that. Now, we don't just have that example, but we actually have the example of Jesus. Jesus was hanging on the cross. He had just gone through all of that misery and pain that he had went through, the beating, the cat of nine tails, his skin ripped open, the crown of thorns on his head, the robe getting ripped off of him, opening the wounds again, carrying that cross all the way there, getting spit on, getting punched, getting beaten. Now he is nailed to a cross in a place that he does not deserve to be, that you and I deserve to be there. The people who did this to Jesus, they deserve to be there. And you know what Jesus says? You you know what he prays to the Father over these people? He says this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He doesn't say, God, wipe them out. Take them out. He does not say that. He says, Father, forgive them. Would you forgive these people? And so the way that Jesus lives, the way that Jesus prayed for his enemies, this is the way that we should live as well. We need to follow this as we follow Jesus. So when people have treated you poorly, you need to pray for them. Pray that God would save them. Pray that God would continue to bless them. Christians are called by God to behave backwards from how the rest of the world lives. It's completely backwards, but this is what we're called to do. Now, Peter, he says, to this you were called. This is the lifestyle that God has called you to live. If you say that you're a Christian, this right here, this is the lifestyle that God calls and commands you to live. No other way, no other way is right, no other way is good. This is the way that God calls you to live. And he says, live this way so that you might obtain a blessing. So you're called to bless the people that hurt you. You're called to show, to, to be righteous towards these people. And Peter talks about this blessing. So God says that there is a blessing in store for people who love their enemies, who pray for their enemies. And, and Peter's going to talk about this blessing here in a second. He, he uses Psalm 34. You guys see maybe in your copy of God's word where the next paragraph is kind of off to the middle with quotes around it? Is, is that what it looks like in your Bible? Well, what, what's showing here is this is a quote from somewhere else in Scripture. All right? So this is Peter quoting from Psalm chapter 34. And Psalm 34 is all about how God hates evil and how he loves righteousness. And so this blessing that God talks about in Psalm 34 is the blessing to love life and see good days. If you will do what God says to do, the promise, the blessing is that you will love your life and you will see good days. So if you want these blessings, that you need to live a righteous life. If you want these blessings, you need to pray for your enemies, okay? So let's read these verses together, starting in verse 10. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Here's point number three. Flee from evil and run toward righteousness. Flee from evil and run toward righteousness. God's people 
need to stay away from evil. And of course, what we mean by evil is anything sinful. Anything sinful, God's people need to run away, to flee from this. And you should do this if you want to love your life and see good days. Okay, now what in the world does that mean? Is Peter saying, is he teaching that if I want to have a perfect life, then all I have to do is do the right thing? No, that's not what Peter is saying. Peter is not saying anything about the perfect life. I mean, how could Peter say that? Think about, how could Peter say this when he knows that the people that he's writing to are currently experiencing the most painful thing that they have ever experienced? And these are people that trust in Jesus. These are people that try to live righteously, that, that they try to forgive their enemies. So why would Peter write to them and say, if you just live, if you just live righteously, then you're going to have great days? That wouldn't make any sense. So he doesn't say anything about a perfect life, but he does say if you want to love life and see good days. And so what we need to do, what Christians need to do, is make sure that our perspective of a good day is in line with what God's word says a good day is. Good days don't mean that everything is great. Good days don't necessarily mean that you're healthy and that you're always happy and that you have no problems. You can still have a good day. You can still love your life even when you go through hard times. In Acts chapter 16, of just a few chapters after the, the martyr of Stephen, we see Paul and Silas in prison because they were preaching the gospel. So they get beaten, they get flogged is the word the Bible uses, and they get thrown and dragged into prison because they're preaching the gospel. And do you know what they did at the end of that day? At midnight? You know what, you know what the Bible says they did? Somebody tell me. They were singing hymns and praises to God. They were praising God. They were worshiping God. They were praising Him for how good He is and for how kind He is and for His love. And they had opportunities to share the gospel with those people in the prison and they were, they were just, they were having a good day. I, I really think that if we were to ask them, was that a good day? They would say, yes, it was a good day. Did you, did you love your life that day? Yes, I did. I loved my life. Even though I was in jail, even though I was in physical pain, I actually did love my life. And look, that's the blessing that God's word is talking about. That we will have the peace and God's comfort to understand that a good day to a Christian is usually not really going to look like a good day to the world. Anybody without Christ would say, you got beaten and put in jail, that's a bad day. But Christian's perspective is, God is still good, God is still kind. I was able to worship him, I was able to share the gospel with other people, that was a good day. I love my life. You think about all the hard times that Paul went through as a missionary, all of the difficult things that he faced, Ultimately, he was killed because of his faith in Jesus. Paul, I'm sure, would have told you, the day that he was going to get killed, I love my life. And I'm having a good day. So no, it doesn't mean that you're going to be a millionaire and you're going to have the perfect life and all that stuff, but it does mean that you're going to love your life and you're going to have good days because we understand that it's much different than what the world thinks. We can love our life and have good days. And so the, the righteousness that God's word says to pursue he sums it up here. He says, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. All right, so he says, run away from this kind of evil. If you will just make sure that you are pursuing righteousness and that your tongue does not say anything evil or deceitful, you don't lie to people. You don't trick people. You don't say things that are rude. You don't make fun of people. You do not do that ever. God hates that. It's deceit. It's lying. It's wrong. He says you need to stay away from that kind of sin. Stay away from all forms of deceit. And then he says, let him turn away from evil and do good. This is just generally God is saying, run away from sin and run toward righteousness. Run away from the bad decisions and run to the good decisions. That needs to be like the, just the defining just the, de the definition of our lives, that we are running away from evil, running away from sin, and running away, or running towards righteousness. And then it says, let him seek peace and pursue it. This circling back to the beginning, peace, unity, harmony, pursue that. When you're not getting along with someone, pursue peace. 
say, I don't know what's going on. What's, what's the problem? I want to figure it out. I'm sorry if I hurt you. Tell me what I did. I will apologize. I'm sorry. I don't want to have d- division here. I want to be united together. I want harmony here. I'm going to pursue peace with all people. That's what God wants for you to do. And look, the last part quoted of Psalm 34, it should give us plenty, plenty of reason to pursue righteousness. He says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears hear their prayer. This doesn't just mean that God sees Christians and righteous people or, or just hears them. God sees and hears everyone, Christians and non-Christians. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He, he, he sees all. So specifically, what this means is, with, with God having his eyes on you and God having listening with his ears to your prayers, this means God's blessing. This is continue what we're talking about, to love life, to see good days. God will have his blessing. He will be with you. His peace will be with you. He will protect you. He will guide you all the time. His eyes are on you, protecting you, helping you. And his ears are hearing your prayer. And look, we know this. I've said this so many times. We know that with God's eyes on you as a Christian, this means that he's working for your good. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And we know that the good that God is doing in our lives is making us more like Jesus. That's the good God is working for. So you know that when you pursue righteousness and that you run away from sin, that you'll get this blessing on your life that God will continue to make you more like Jesus. And there's nothing better than that. You understand that God could take everything away. All all of your provisions, all of your food, all of your clothes, all of your money, everything. He could take it all away. But as long as you still have God's eyes on you and listening to your prayers and he's continuing to make you more like Jesus, everything is okay. That's the best thing for you, is for you to be made more like Jesus. So this is the blessing he's talking about. But then he says this. He says, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And we know from other verses like James 4.4, it says, friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself, what? An enemy of God. So unrighteous people, people that have not put their trust in Jesus, you're actually an enemy of God. And God, his his face is against you, against those who do evil. And what this means is, what this points to is God's wrath is coming for you. If you have not put your trust in Jesus, you're not protected by the sacrifice of Jesus. You are not in Christ, which means that when your time comes and when you die, you will experience the wrath of God. You will not go to heaven. You will go to hell. So we all have an opportunity to put our trust in Jesus, to please him this way, to, to live in righteousness, to have his face towards us, for his ear listening to us. But if you don't do that, his face is against you. And that should make you tremble. You should be afraid of that judgment from God that's coming on you if you don't put your trust in Jesus. So listen, flee, that word is, is helpful uh, when it comes to the response that we should have to our sin. And we're in DBR, we're, we're finishing uh, the book of Genesis, and you, you know if you're reading it that the story that we're concluding that we just finished today is the story of who? Joseph. Joseph was the perfect, the greatest example, not the greatest, Jesus is, but other than that, a really good example of what we should do when it comes to sin. So there's a verse that says this, she caught him, talking about Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife liked Joseph, really liked him a lot, okay? And it says that Potiphar's wife caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and he got out of the house. So when Joseph was tempted with sin, he literally ran away, ran away, his clothes ripped off. He didn't care. He got out of there. He ran away from sin. And he ran toward the righteous decision, which is not sinning. And, and of course, the, the most, one of the most amazing things about this is that Joseph's mindset here 
was not, oh no, how could I do this? I'm going to get caught. Potiphar's going to be mad at me. He said, how could I do this sin against my God? That's where his mind was. And that's where our minds need to be when we're thinking about sin. I'm going to flee. I'm going to run away. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get out of here, to run away from this sin, because how could I commit that sin against my God, the God who loves me, the God who has saved me, the God who sent his son to die for me in my place? How could I do that against him? I need to flee from sin. I don't know, Christians, we have this unique opportunity, this responsibility. We have this responsibility to use our difficulties as a platform to show others about Jesus. So you have an opportunity when you're faced with something difficult, when you are just in a bad mood, when something happens to you that you don't like, you have an opportunity there to say, it doesn't matter what's going on. I'm still going to love. I'm still going to pursue righteousness. I'm going to pray for the people that are mean to me. And I'm going to do this so that other people will see Christ in me. And that's the decision that we have to make. You need to understand that even on days that the world would say are bad, those don't have to be bad days for Christians. We can say, yeah, my circumstances are not great, but I love my life. And today's a good day because I have the peace of God with me. Let's pray. God, please help us to understand how important this is. That this is the way that Christians should live. That these are the things that we should be doing. That you care so much for unity among Christians. That you you hate division. You hate conflict. You hate when we're mad at each other. God, that you would have us be united and be in harmony with each other. And we need to do whatever it takes to stay that way. So please help us to do that, God. If anyone in this room has conflict with anyone God, let it be resolved. Please give us the courage and the strength and let us obey your commands to pursue unity and love and all of these things. And God, help us to understand that we need to be praying for the people that we would consider to be our enemies. Let us not see them that way, but let us, let us pray for them and love them and forgive them. And God, please help us to run away from sin and to run towards you every day of our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.